This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Because if you don't know your history, you don't know your future. And your future has to be what happened the early days under Martin and Jimmy Murphy without doubt and, and, and tell them that what Jimmy did about planting seeds of the, the history that is the most important thing you can do with young players coming to my United tell them what the, their expectation is to realise the expectation this is what for a point for my United there's no point for Bolton Wonders or Burry or, or Rochdale it's a point for the biggest club in the world Well, we had to extend this series to include this show, or it never would have sit right with me, Paddy. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't get this close to my favourite team without talking about them. And it's somewhat fitting, really, um, because when people do refer to this team, like you said in the last episode, they call it the 1994 team, don't they? Yeah, yeah, because this is when the team really flowered. And for the first time in uh, Alex Ferguson's reign, actually, which by now had been ooh, seven and seven years, yeah. seven and a bit years, um, it rolled off the tongue. Schmeichel, Parker, Ballister, Bruce, Irwin, Kanchelskis, Keane, mm. not Robson, Ince and Giggs, and then up front, Cantona and Hughes. I mean, that was, that was it. There were other players who played a part in the 93-4 season, um, notably Lee Sharp, nine goals in the league alone. So, you know, he... he he weighed in big time. Even if he played every game, nine goals would be a great, um, uh, great haul, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Brian McClare still there, still, as always, giving good service, you know, when required. But that was basically it, you know. One to eleven rolls off the tongue. That's always a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we get to the, um, we I think it was the last episode we we're talking about how many. Um, appearances those players made and again they were they were durable to do that this season as well you mentioned the team the 11 um, the, it was actually immortalised in a song I don't know if you remember but you know the back in the days when they did cup final songs United's that year was with status quo um, called Come On You Reds and their, their sort of bridge between the choruses was, um, was basically naming the team it's Schmeichel Parker Pallister Irwin, Bruce, Sharp and Ince, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, so if, if you didn't know it, then you certainly had it well, drummed into status, your head. Status Quo's uh, used to be my favourite band, so. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd, I'd, it might I'd be your new favourite song. I'd have been singing along, yeah, definitely. Uh, status Quo. Um, but, uh, oh yeah, happy, I'm enjoying this episode. But yeah, I, I did a bit of a spoiler, I ruined the suspense when I mentioned the name of Roy Keane I'm sure he's going to come into the narrative very very quickly yeah let's talk about him an important distinction that Keane's been added into this because um, it was an English transfer record 3.75 million now over the years to follow this Ferguson made moves that were not exact replicas I think Teddy Sheringham for for Cantona was like it was kind of like for like but Mm. you can't replace Cantona in the same way so he went and got something that he felt would fit the team and we've got the same with Beckham 
following Kanchelskis and even Ronaldo following Beckham. That it wasn't exactly like for like, but Roy Keane for Brian Robson was almost as close as it comes to that, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you uh, uh, you replace the the best all-purpose player in all-purpose midfield player in England with the best all-purpose midfield player in England. Uh, you're definitely going along the right lines. I mean, the thing about Ferguson is that he wasn't ever afraid to do the obvious. You know, his signings didn't have... A lot of managers are always tempted to make niche signings, but he just went out and used Manchester United's muscle and allure to get the best. Mm. Um, Pallister was a very good example. He broke the British transfer record for Pallister because he thought he was the best. Um, Centre-half, and similarly with Keane. But, you know, he made a prof... He, he did get a bit of a deal on Keane, you know. 3.75 million was what he paid for Keane. Um, and then, you know, in the end, that was, you know, almost as big a bargain as half a million for Schmeichel. Yeah. But, um, I mean, yeah, uh, it, 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 Keane was originally going to uh, Kenny Dalglish's Blackburn. I mean, United, in previous episodes, we talked about United being outbid by... Rangers in Glasgow, but yeah. um, now there was a, the threat from uh, from Uncle Jack Walker's. Uh, well, we used to talk about millions, millions, hundreds of millions used to be a lot of money. Wayne, yeah. the younger younger listeners won't know that. But <laughs> was, this was before billions had been invented. But um, uh, yeah, the the Blackburn owners uh, uh, millions were quite an allure, and a deal had been done with Blackburn Rovers to take um, Roy Keane to join Alan Shearer at Blackburn Rovers for four million. But um, Brian Clough had retired, and as you, as most people are aware, there was quite a rivalry between Clough and Ferguson. They didn't really like each other that much, or at least that's the impression that everybody got. I'm sure there was mutual respect. There would have to be. Yeah. Um, but uh, there wasn't a great deal of love and um, anyway Clough had retired upon Nottingham Forest relegation and uh, the new manager was Frank Clark the former player uh, European Cup winning captain and uh, anyway uh, what, what uh, Frank uh, said to, to Alex when they met um, is, is not known but uh, suffice it to say that Roy Keane changed his mind he was 21 at the time and uh, the deal was done at 3.75 thereby saving Manchester United a cool £250,000 which was a lot of money in those days um, so they'd, Brian Robson was at the end uh, he'd won his title medal in 1992-3 but he'd only started five games uh, the rest of his appearances were a sub so and my god did he deserve that title medal for what he'd done in the, the slightly leaner times but uh, by now uh, you know the time was to, to, to replace him with someone of the same magnitude and Keane never there was never any settling in period for Keane there was never any you know rough edges to be removed. He just came in and uh, played for Manchester United as if that was his destiny. Mm. Um, and basically, it was a great time because what, what happened, uh, from Ferguson's point of view, was it was like at Aberdeen where the team ro began to roll off the tongue. Mm. Um, the first title released a surge of energy and increased ambition. You sometimes hear players who've won a lot of trophies say, yeah, the first one just made me more desperate for the second, uh, the second, third, fourth, fifth, and this is exactly what happened to Manchester United and Keane of to Keane, of course, who'd, you know, you know, a winner by nature, uh, a, a Ferguson with a with a with a shirt on, you know, yeah. uh, a red shirt on. Um, uh, this was oh, perfect, yeah. and uh, and it, it's you know, whereas he would have teamed up with Shearer at Blackburn, he was teaming up with Cantona at United. And uh, what, a, what a potent combination they pr uh, proved, e even right from almost the start of the season. There was, you'll remember, a famous victory in a derby 
uh, Wayne. I've been talking for too long. I'll give you something that you'll really enjoy talking about. Tell <laughs> us about that, Darby. No, yeah, you're absolutely right about um, Keane's impact on the side. And he was a proper box-to-box player in, in those early weeks. He was. Um, yeah. I think he mentioned that it was probably about a year before he, he took some responsibility in his position. So he did um, take a while to sort of get used to his surroundings but while he was doing that he was playing magnificently there was no settling in period he scored twice on his own debut against Sheffield United um, United had started the season with tremendous confidence they, I think they won the last seven from the previous campaign and they won yeah. um, five of the first six in this one um, a great game in uh, Villa I know you mentioned the City game which was a standout but yeah. the, the Villa game um, was magnificently sharp you mentioned earlier um, this was one of his great games um, he scored twice in that one Ferguson described that and he was he was significant in that Villa were last year's challenges and that United went to Villa Park and they went to win the game um, Fergie after the game he said you can't help but enjoy such a magnificent display from two good sides who like to play good entertaining football it was a shame in a way that one team had to win but obviously I'm relieved it was us um, probably one of the best matches I've ever been involved with. I think you can probably get that full match on YouTube now. Um, and so oh, I, I really? do. Well, it's worth seeing. I've, I've got um, Ron Atkinson still in charge of Villa at this time. Absolutely, yeah. And a, an indication of uh, of their quality at that time uh, is that it, this was the season when they won the, the League Cup. Mm. Um, you know, thereby denying uh, beating United and denying United a treble of. Uh, Domestic trophies. Oh no, I've given the game away again. Oh, <laughs> that's that's all right, Paddy. We get in there, but it was <laughs> it was United um, steamrolling in the first few weeks. I mean, Chelsea um, inflicted a defeat. Um, okay, okay, so that's another spoiler as we got to the cup yeah, final. Yeah, uh, but that's going to have a twist at the end. Uh, but Gavin Peacock scored um, in, in in that game and. Funnily enough, that game is memorable for United fans because Cantona tried to score from nearly the halfway line. They bounced over Corrine in the Chelsea goal and hit the crossbar. Um, but Cantona was irrepressible after that. He, he scored two against um, City in the game that, you're talk- that you were talking about. Um, Roy Keane scored the winner. I mean, the events of the preceding week we'll get to in a moment because it, it sort of followed United's defeat in Europe where City fans were throwing Turkish delight um, sweets <laughs> United <laughs> players um, as they, they came onto the pitch and I mean United were brilliant in this first uh, few weeks they were scoring a lot of goals they were they were letting a few in at the other end as well but they, it was all to do with the spirit of the play and the way that United were sort of liberated by the fact that they'd won the, the title the, league, uh, the year before um, in, in many ways it was probably that seven game spell at the end of the previous season where they'd sort of had that switch turned on with the Norwich win and then this sort of confidence that came with winning the title yeah. that they um, that they scored that they were so good in these um, opening weeks I mean you mentioned Cantona's influence in the City game and we'll, we'll get to that um, in a second but he also scored an incredible goal at Southampton a chip goal over the goalkeeper which is almost like an exhibition match which he kind of was for Cannon at that point he scored a great goal against Arsenal and then a great goal against QPR but yeah let's talk about the City game City were 2-0 up in the first half and it, it this seemed like the first real test of United's medal didn't it after after European elimination which we will get onto in a second yeah um but yeah, Quinn scored twice in the first half. Cantona scored twice in the second, and then Roy Keane steals in at, back, at the back post. Um, again, I think um, I think it's Cantona's second goal. If you watch that back, there's a moment where City try and clear because they know the United are just throwing wave and wave of attack at them, and uh, they clear the ball and Cantona. It's just extraordinary. And this was the difference that Cantona made at the time because possibly only Matt Letizia you would think of doing something like this. He just gets the ball, he's, he takes it on the bounce, and then he, he's doing jiggle, he's actually juggling with the ball um, three or four times. He's switching it between his feet, and he's functional as well because he, he sort of starts the move which ends um, with him scoring the equaliser. It's just, and that was what was great about Cantona at that time is that, um, I mean, I think he ended up third in that year's Ballon d'Or and he'd come from yeah. this position of disgrace as well, you know, yeah. the, the previous year. And yeah, I think third 
in the um, in the world. I mean, I, I yeah. had to do a, a recent interview, Paddy, where people I, I was actually asked about that, and they said, "Do you think Cantona was the best player in the world at the time?" And I, I looked at the, the landscape, and you've got Romario at Barcelona, and you had Baggio um, in Italy doing incredible things. And those two. You, you would argue were better players than Cantona, but none of the, like no one in the world seems to be having any an impact on a football club the same way no, that Cantona no, was no, at United. I, I think you've put it absolutely right. I think a different player from from Romario, who's more of a um, an out and out striker. But uh, but yeah, um, you could argue that well, you know, Romario was to actually um, win a World Cup in that year. Yeah. Ninety-four, but they—I I definitely think it's a good—it's uh, it, a good point to make because a lot of people, including me, have said yes, Cantona was 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 the greatest. Uh, probably had more effect on Man United than any other player in the history of the club, and that—that that I'm certain of. But um, uh, th- th- what mitigates against his being a great player per se? is that he didn't do a lot in Europe. But you're making the point that he was considered the third best player in the Ballon d'Or, which rather suggests otherwise, especially as United didn't have a, a run in Europe, a long run in Europe, um, because of the uh, the Turkish uh, drama that no doubt we're going to come on to. Yeah, let's, let's talk about it. He's classified as defeat in Europe, but it was a draw. It was away goals that eliminated them. Um, and really, the damage was done at Old Trafford in the first leg. And this is a thing when people go back and they look at this, and I'm definitely guilty, and we've definitely talked about this, where we've talked about the virtue of the foreigner rule. And it doesn't really come into play in the Galatasaray game because, you know, the biggest argument, if you look at the first leg, is that Erwin and Parker don't play at fullback. But. And then that possibly there's a moment of conservatism from Ferguson because he plays a four-five-one. But then when you look at the personnel, it's Robson, Ince, and Keane in the middle of the park. Well, you're not going to argue with that. And you've got Cantona, Hughes, and Giggs in the front line. You've got you've still got that spine of Schmeichel, Bruce, and Pallister. Um, I think the foreigner rule. If you look at the following year and and the suspensions that come from from this tie that as an implication but I don't think it really stands up because I mean yes it, it in the overall argument of where they would have been able to compete against Barcelona or Milan but yeah. on the evidence of the naivety of this leg I mean United at one point they're 3-1 up against um, Galatasaray and throw it away at home the game ends 3-3 they go to Turkey um, where they're greeted with some Form of hostility, to yeah. say the least, um, and it finishes nil nil. Um, they are complaining about the referee. Ferguson sent uh, Cantona sent off after the final whistle for arguing with the referee and suspended for four games after that. Um, and he got a whack on the head from a policeman's back yeah. to send him down the tunnel. Yeah, pretty stormy finish. But uh, uh, yes, as you say, um, I mean. I don't know. I don't know where Galatasaray finished in that in the Champions League that year, but uh, yeah, it was it was a learning process for Manchester United uh, that defeat, and um, and really one of the few blots uh, on on the season. Yeah, what did you make of? I mean, we're talking about the foreigner rule, and that'll be if people are listening to this, they'll, they'll be thinking, how did no. it really impact United? I, ah. It didn't really in this in this no. season. No, I mean there, there, were, there was the, the season afterwards. I think it was the four-nil defeat in Barcelona. It, it probably didn't help on that occasion. You've got to ask yourself how much did the foreigner rule impact British clubs and, and others? To be honest, I mean it was it wasn't just applied to British clubs, um, but. Um, and how much did worrying about the foreigner rule impact on British clubs? Hmm. I think they're two different things. Yeah. And how often was the foreigner rule invoked as an excuse? If you lose two players to uh, injury, you don't burst into tears and collapse, do you? 
you know, and uh, United never really, never lost more than two players at the most, I don't think, to the foreigner rule. So it was just, I think it's wildly exaggerated, to be quite honest, uh, and, and not wholly on behalf of Man United, you know, generally speaking. Um, you know, if you if you benefit from from the, the foreigner rule, by the way, to explain to, to any young people listening, was that um, players who we assumed to be British, like Scots, uh, Irish, in, in other words, anybody who didn't who didn't play for England was treated as a foreigner, and uh, as those uh, days, because footballing terms, they were, and in those days you were. To, in order to encourage youth development, teams throughout Europe um, had to have um, a, 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 a preponderance of uh, homebred players. That was all it was. It was a well-intentioned rule, um, no longer, um, no longer applied. Yeah, I think th- the strongest argument is that United had established really good um, little partnerships all over the pitch. Yeah. So if if you affected one. The balance was not quite right, but again, I think that argument only stands up when you're talking about how they might have competed against Milan or Barcelona, yeah. or not I'm overcoming. To, exactly, yeah, yeah, you you should be able to cope with. I mean, who, who were the fullbacks against Galatasaray? I don't know if you have that information. In front yeah. of you. Um, I think Phelan was one, and Lee yeah. Sharp was the other. Yeah, so, so I mean, it, it's it's not as if you were mugs there. Uh, Lee Sharp had played left back. Um, in fact, I think he was signed as a left back mm. from Torquay. So, uh, and of course, Phelan was a reliable player. Again, he played played right back. So, um, yeah, there was. It wasn't really. It's not as if they were putting in two kids that, that you'd never heard of before and would never hear of again. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't too bad. I mean, I suppose. It, it depends. It, 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 the, the, I know we're going ahead of ourselves, but this is the end of our uh, list, this part of the series, and and so you don't. It's okay for me to talk about the Barcelona game, which was to follow. Yeah. Um, in that case, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, United changed the goalkeeper, and Schmeichel was so fundamental to that team in terms of not only uh, his goalkeeping, but his general influence on the defence, if you like to put it that way. Yeah. His ballings out, his, his, his organisation, his dominance of the, uh, you know, the goal mouth as well as, as, well as the line. And, and, and Gary Walsh, who came in for him on that occasion, um, you know, you couldn't expect to be uh, bollocking Pallister and Bruce and telling them where to stand, you know. Um, so I think that has a bit of validity, but... Uh, no, you know the, the the changes that were made against Galatasaray. It was, I think, it was more um, tactical and a game management lesson than yeah. uh, a lesson in football. Yeah. Also, I think it was a matter of um, complacency as well. I mean, let me just clarify a couple of things I got wrong with that. Lee Martin was the right back, not feeling, but it's the same principle. Same um, thing. I mean, okay, known as a left back, but he's right footed. Um, and he won a trophy, won, a, won an FA Cup with his right. Yeah, yeah, things. yeah, absolutely. So nothing wrong with Lee Martin. And um, the the scoreline, United were two 0 up early on, and then Galatasaray turned it around to be winning three two, and United had to score late on to get a three three. But um, that was an issue at United at the time. Is that, that I think. Um, the game against Swindon where United won 4-2 but they defended really sloppily and um, Ferguson's line after the Galatasaray game was in fact our carelessness is destroying our potential Mm. Um, which I think again in retrospect when he's looked back on this like years in the future he's kind of gone oh it's a foreigner rule but at the time I think he understood that in the moment United were complacent and they needed to sort of up the game a little bit as good as they were they were almost 
they were buying into that idea that they could turn up and win every single game. Yeah. And it cost them a lot of draws at this uh, period of the season. You mentioned Galatasaray, just to close on them and where they finished. So what happened in this group stage, because the Champions League changed so much over this 10-year spell. Yeah. So And this was the sort of early knockings of the Champions League. So you played two rounds, then you played a group, then you played the semi-final, and then the final. So Galatasaray went to, into the group where they faced Barcelona, Monaco, Spartak Moscow, Galatasaray finished bottom with two draws um, and no wins. So, ah, so they was that, were. Was that, that was when there was two group stages. Yeah, that's right. Oh, oh the worst, worst, <laughs> worst time of my life. I hate group stages. Even one group stage is too many for me. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I mean, we're talking now at the Colbier. You know, we're we're talking on the morning after. Manchester United's defeat in Leipzig, and oh, I, I I know you know for you for Manchester United fans it's a very sad time, but for me I'm just glad that bloody group stage is over. All these predictable matches and oh, sorry that one wasn't predictable. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I think I better shut up before I get myself in more trouble. But really, I just so want to say that two group stages. Oh God, too too many. Yeah, well, you remember the um. Is it the turn of the century? So after United won the Champions League, the next season was yeah. they actually had two group stages in the Champions League, which was nuts. Like you had one group and then you went on to another group, and then it was the knockouts. It was just crazy. I remember. I think yeah. we played must have played Sturm Graz every single week because oh, <laughs> yeah. it felt I like mean, you, you played Sturm Graz more than you played Everton. You <laughs> yeah, know, in, exactly. that, in a day, yeah, in all that time, yeah. But that's true. Um, it, it's a bit like at the moment Scotland v Israel I mean yeah. we, we're, we're going to end up having played more games against Israel than we ever played against England yeah. we started playing them in 1872 <laughs> um, United were dropping points in draws but they were still maintaining the momentum of of winning games as well so it was like draw win draw win draw win over Christmas uh, but it was maintaining this healthy advantage um, I think they they armoured Oldham a couple of days after Christmas. A, a crucial game against Blackburn when they came to Old Trafford and they thought um, they were going to um, steal a win, and yeah. then Ince equalised in the last couple of minutes. Schmeichel came yeah. up for the corner, um, and that sort of deflated them a little bit. Um, and the league was still the lead that United had in the league was still very healthy. Mm. Um, great game at Anfield early in the year. They were three 0 up, and then Liverpool um, come back and, and draw. Yes, um, uh, that, that was an interesting one, given the you know the 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 the, the, the perch and and the Liverpool's uh, dynastic sort of control of English football that that had preceded it. Um, for Liverpool to be tremblingly grateful for one point against United at Anfield and it was a great game I remember it Nigel Clough scored twice it really was a wonderful game of football mm. um, and uh, and a tremendous drama but for, for for Anfield to reverberate to the to the to the joy of getting one point at home against Manchester United told you everything you needed to know about the shift in the balance of power. Yeah, a couple of weeks later United played Everton at Old Trafford but that was preceded by the death of Sir Matt Busby. Um, <coughs> Excuse um, me, I remember that uh, occasion very vividly and I'll never forget it. It's incredible. Um, I mean, Old Trafford, I mean, any football ground really but uh, we're talking about United and Old Trafford and, and Sir Matt Busby and when... Because it's such a, a seismic thing in football that you don't normally see this kind of dynasty. And it's funny that we, when we've talked about dynasties, and um, I don't want to give too much of a spoiler away, but Paddy, you were such a great help when um, when I was writing this book on George Best that's coming out. But one of the things that we had in our conversation was the changing aspects of what a dynasty was because Sir Matt Busby's dynasty was, uh, it was viewed in the era of in which he participated, which was basically, it wasn't about winning 15 league titles, it was about winning enough to say that United was, were the most successful team in England. And, yeah. you know, so those sort of five or six league titles over a period of time, is you know, over that same period of time, it is, mm. um, well, he did everything in terms of establishing the reputation 
of the club and the sort of legacy which Sir Alex Ferguson was seeking to um, replicate. Uh, um, absolutely, That's, that that you put it uh, spot on. And I remember the the Everton match. Um, I mean, the the death of Sir Matt had, um, which was from cancer. Um, although he was in well into his eighties and. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the outpouring of love for Zermatt was um, obvious in flowers all over the ground, particularly under the Munich clock, of course. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. This is just a cough, by the way, and I'm not becoming emotionally overpowered. But the, it was a very, very emotional experience, a very emotional time. And the wonderful thing I remember, one of the Kens, Ken Ramsden, Ken Merritt, the, the great administrators of Manchester United, behind-the-scenes men, one of them got the idea from somewhere of having the teams uh, being led out by a piper. Mm. Uh, because, of course, Matt was the first of the great uh, Scottish managers at, at Man United. And uh, uh, this, uh, for some reason, just hit the right note. And... Um, so did the players and the fans. Uh, if you were at that game, Wayne, everybody who was at the game uh, remembers the respect shown by Everton's fans uh, towards uh, Matt, the memory of Matt Busby. Uh, it, was a, it was a lovely, lovely throwback experience. It was the sort of thing that Matt would have recognised from the nicer games of the era in which he managed. Uh, it, it was very sporting, sportsmanlike. The game was played competitively, but never dirtily, and it was played in a sort of... It was pure football. I, I, remember, I can never forget this. It was pure football. Yeah. And there was only one goal, surprisingly, but it was scored by a winger who came through the United Youth System. What could be more yeah. a better tribute to Matt Busby than that Ryan Giggs, uh, the apple of his eye, I'm sure, uh, scored the only goal of the match and United won. Uh, it, was, it was a wonderful sort of um, send-off, if you like, a uh, footballing send-off for Sir Matt. Yeah. Um, and it came, it was, uh, it, looking back on it, uh, it came shortly after the... Um, you, you know, a few um, healthy exchanges of views between Ferguson and, and, and these tough players. And one of them was with uh, Peter Schmeichel. And after the game that you referred to, the three-all draw with Liverpool, Ferguson, um, you know, obviously wasn't happy at the concession of three goals after being 3-0 up and had a go at Schmeichel. And Schmeichel, of course, got, had a go straight back at him uh, making uncomplimentary remarks, I don't know what they were, about Ferguson's personality and management skills. Yeah. Uh, and <coughs> Ferguson resolved to sell it. Yeah. He apologised later, Schmeichel, the next day. And Ferguson said, yeah, but you'll have to go. You've questioned my authority in the dressing room. And uh, this sort of rumbled on for a while, but it was completely forgotten <laughs> uh, after... The, it was never mentioned again after the uh, after Matt died, and uh, so it, it, whether deliberately or not, uh, Matt's death brought a sense of perspective and um, and and and, uh, and and of sensitivity at uh, at uh, what had been a quite a stormy time. Yeah, no, absolutely. But you mentioned the game. I've got some of the stats from it. Six fouls from either side, um, ah, which ah, sort of yeah, underlines the point. Yeah, that's extraordinary because you'd expect twelve to fifteen, wouldn't you? And especially in in those days. So that's interesting. Six fouls. Yeah, United. Oh God, you, yeah, you're you're a good stat man. <laughs> they had tw twenty two shots. They had on goal. They had fifteen off target. Um, they they were brilliant United on the day. Um, the Cantona and Kanchelski said the woodwork salvo was in inspired form, um, which sort of added to the spectacle. Really, I mean, Giggs' Giggs's goal was fairly early in the game, but um, the the idea that they were being constantly thwarted by this goalkeeper added <coughs> to the sort of um, show of the occasion. Really, but you're you're quite right about the occasion. Um, it was just 
one of those. Um, it's a funny thing, and I know that we've um, we are jumping all all over the place in the future with yeah. this, but I think yeah. it's fine to to draw references. I, I always talk about a game when United played against Real Madrid when they were the holders, and Real Madrid came in and they sort of battered United, and they were three yeah. 0 up, and and Raúl um, was just incredible. But before that game, there was this weird this properly weird um, atmosphere around the ground of you know because they drawn nil nil in Madrid and it wasn't nobody knew quite what to expect and I'm not saying that this was like that but it's just a strange thing Old Trafford um, but like I said earlier any football ground can carry this um, if you've got your own memories and your own association with it because I guess what I'm trying to say is the beauty of football in a way that um, it does you know that that idea that it's more or it's part of um, an intrinsic part of life and it's um, not exactly a matter of life and death but it's um, certainly it means so much to people um, and what he gave what Busby gave to, to the people was a football club um, and it's without um, any shade of exaggeration that, that I say that um, you mentioned you mentioned that the game against Everton was almost like a, a sort of a break in the growing tensions and it really was um We'll talk about how good they were, how good they became again in a second. But let's yeah. talk about the sort of nasty side of United that was emerging. Yeah, before before we do that, by the way, in case I uh, I cause increasing tension among any Manchester City supporter listening to this, I would like to humbly point out that I do realise that Ryan Giggs, <laughs> the scorer of that goal, came through both the Man City <laughs> and United youth systems. And that, that is well documented and I acknowledge it humbly. <laughs> I don't. I'm going to say you pure United through and through. I'm sure Giggs would say the same. Um, but yeah, um, he Giggs... Trained, he definitely trained with City. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. He was, he was poached yeah. from there like Nicky Butt was. Yeah. Um, yeah. They... Um, Giggs was not one of the players who was guilty of this sort of nasty... Um, streak that was coming through Cantona had, had caused a massive furore when he'd sort of thrown a stamp at um, Jeremy Goss in the in the cup uh, Jimmy Hill had gone on because uh, it was screened on BBC so Jimmy Hill had gone absolutely apoplectic about it and Ferguson came out and called him a prat, a prat uh, yes. which I don't think you know that wasn't one of Ferguson, Ferguson's f- finest hours but <laughs> United were like they were having this increasing disciplinary problem. Roy Keane complained about it because he was saying, obviously he'd come from Forest and the sort of um, step up in seniority playing for a club like United where the demand is every single week. He was surprised that um, teams like you know, Swindon were playing out with the skins against United. It's like, why, you know, you should be playing for Man United if, you, if you're this good. Um, so he was almost... Um, it's funny because that's part of the reason what made Keane such a great player is that he he, yeah. he he learned this drive but he was complaining about it at the time he couldn't understand it but you had Hughes sent off against Sheffield United in the cup for a, a kick after he scored an incredible goal um, Cantona sent off against Swindon for a stamp again on uh, John, John Monk um, sent off a few days later against Arsenal I think um, a few of the United contingent were aggrieved by that because he felt that it was his reputation following him yeah, Tony meant- Adams made a meal of it yeah. Ferguson, yeah. Um, but you had Schmeichel sent off for a rush of blood against Charlton where he came charging out of his goal um, Kachelskis though but it, that was just for handling on the goal line in the League Cup final League which Cup and United had already lost by that point and he was sort of like it was one of those desperation moments it wasn't yeah ill discipline you could argue really that it was Schmeichel out that cost United the League Cup couldn't you might be simplistic but um um, and, and to be fair, that is doing a massive disservice to Atkinson, who, who tactically set up that um, game to stifle. He knew he wasn't a good pitch for wingers, mm. and he stifled it um, purposely for that. Um, yeah. Good management from from, um, and that, like I said, it was a good Villa team. Yeah. Saunders and I Atkinson. Mean, even Ferguson though was worried. You've you've listed uh, the, the, the crime count, and, and Ferguson during the the season, Ferguson did become worried about the number of suspensions because. I did an interview with him, I think it was in an interview, but, but I've got a quote for, from my book about Ferguson, so I'll, I'll, give, it, I'll give it to you, because he, he, he was genuinely worried about, about this. Not, even though he'd, he'd, he'd earlier said, I'm, I'm happy when I look out on the pitch and see myself, and he was a dirty bugger, Ferguson, <laughs> so he knew, 
he knew what competitiveness all about. But what he said was, we couldn't get out of the mire, so I called them all in, with Robson as club captain and Bruce, who was the de facto captain. And I went round the lot of them, and I'm quoting him, one more fucking time and I'll... And they were sitting there, he says, and you could tell, oh, I... And uh, so I said, from now on, I'm going to fine you for everything. Two weeks for a sending off, one week for a booking. Now off you go. And as they walked down the stairs, Claire, down the stairs, he could hear them giggling. <laughs> as he told, as he said this, he himself started laughing. He says that they knew I needed them. They knew I needed winners. And um, uh, that, that was it. Yeah, they, they listened and they did their best, but... <laughs> Um, Ferguson did say we hardly had a problem after that talking to I gave them in fact our disciplinary record has been really good over the years considering that everyone's trying so hard against us as you said in every game we play well it's all very well that we hardly had a problem after that um, well it was only a few months after that that the Selhurst Park Cantona incident took place and then a few months after that Roy Keane stamped on Gareth Southgate <laughs> in the FA Cup semis. So uh, I suppose hardly a problem. In other words, only two of the most celebrated <laughs> misdeeds in the history of the English game. But that's fair enough. Everything's relative. And the fact is that they did, uh, they did over the years after that. Uh, it, it was the start of a more, um, more, more uh, controlled aggression. Yeah. There's a lot of sending offs. I mean, in these days, sort of four, four or five sending offs in a season wouldn't seem like a big deal, but um, it certainly was then. Um, yeah. And and it wasn't a new thing, the red card, but uh, because it'd been around for twenty odd years. But you you pull out the red card, and it was still seen as fairly um, <laughs> horrific. Because um, I can remember when Arsene Wenger came in, and a lot of Arsenal players were getting sent off all the time, and I think. He took some time to get his head around what that and had to sort of calm it down a little bit. Um, but yeah, he, he certainly United in that sort of two or three month spell um, yeah. went red card happy. But that, yeah. that as well, it was part of why we loved that team because they were they could play incredible football, but they also stood up with that physicality. And sometimes it it, it sort of spilled over. But because United were winning and because they were playing such entertaining football and because it was the first time in a, a generation that United had been so successful yeah. that there was such a kinship with the support yeah. and, and the, the the team and, and obviously the gap between supporters and players wasn't as pronounced as it is today yeah. there was an incredible connection um, yeah, yeah it, I mean the British aren't the only supporters who like you know a team that is not going to be bullied or, yeah. or might even do a wee bit of bullying if it uh, the time's right uh, you know, this is football fans like that, and that's I think part of the reason why why this United team is is so fondly remembered. But it wouldn't it would be a ridiculous distortion of the truth to characterise them as a tough team above all else because they weren't. Um, they played beautiful football, and I know that uh, that one of your favourite performances is a, a very good example of how they combined. Uh, strength with beauty and it was the game against at Selhurst Park against yeah. Wimbledon where United won 3-0 and, and I know it's one of your favourite United performances of this era but it contained one of the great goals and for me uh, it was scored by Dennis Irwin after a dribble and a 1-2 yeah. which is not bad from a fullback, is it? But what made it better, even better for me is if you look at it the whole move it was a very, very long move. I don't know how many passes, Wayne. You probably counted them. But for a long... Wimbledon are defending very, very deep at this, at this time. They're defending almost in the six-yard box or certainly on the edge of the, of the thing. And they're giving United the ball. They're saying, you know, play in front of us. Play in front of us. And United are playing nothing balls between the centre-backs. And, and sure enough, but then... And it's the hardest thing in the world, isn't it? You know, managers always complain, oh, yeah, they didn't come to play football, they got the nil-nil draw. And Wimbledon were certainly playing in that way. They were standing off because they weren't... They knew they couldn't bully United anymore. Mm. But they were also trying to negate their creative football by 
defend in the box with 11 men. And United suddenly up the pace, don't they? And they then carve Wimbledon apart. It is a beautiful sight. It really is. And, and you don't have to be a United fan to love the way Irwin suddenly gives them an extra problem and the move is completed with a pace that means they can't do anything about it. Hmm. It's it's just pure football for me. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised you rate it as as one of your favourite Man United moments of that era. No, because especially because Wimbledon were such a, a bogey side for United, and the fact that they had pedigree of their own, they weren't just a bogey side. They'd won the FA Cup, and they were seen as, you know, if you, it was a tremendous badge of honour if you could beat Wimbledon in the cup yeah. on the way to to winning it. So. Um, because it meant that you you were versatile and you had this sort of um, extra, extra string to your bow, basically. And and what I think you mentioned the second the second half the football was incredible. But United had earned the right to play in that game early on. Uh, Vinnie Jones goes in um, on a tackle on Eric Cantona, which is basically. It's so X-rated that you think that Cantona might not have any children again mm. if if he connects with it. He's he's so high, um, but Cantona he sort of he just stands up to it. There's no angry response or anything. I know that he did in in further games after this, but um, in, on this occasion, Vinnie Jones goes in on the family jewels. Cantona just stands up to it, and ten minutes later. Irwin plays this long ball. He gets headed out by the defender. Cantona just controls it on his thigh. On, on his instep really yeah um, and it just sets up the ball beautifully and he half follows it into into the top corner past a really good goalkeeper Neil Sullivan um, just an incredible goal but because of the way that that had panned out that Cantona had said well you can foul me if you want but this is what I'm going to do to you you can't affect my majesty that's how United played for the entirety of the second half and Irwin's goal was the epitome of that um, it, it just if anyone has got the option, I mean, I'm going to say this about every single game of this season, but you could go back and just watch. This is why I, I go on about it so much. Yes, I, we romanticise a little bit about how far they could have gone with the foreigner rule, but for what they did achieve and the way that they did play football, this is why I always rate this is my favourite because it's my team. Um, but there are a couple of other games as well, Paddy, that I want to talk about. Sheffield Wednesday, poor Wednesday, they got um, a few batterings off United couple in this period um, there's a great game at Old Trafford where Ryan Giggs rounded the goalkeeper Chris Woods and scored from a really narrow angle but they went into the um, second leg at Hillsborough and 1-4-1 without Cantona McClare scored twice um, but then they, they played them at Old Trafford where they won 4-0 and they were mm. unbelievable again um, was it 5-0? 5-0 at Old Trafford, yeah. Yep, um, yep, yep. Mark Hughes scores this thunderbolt of a goal from around 30 yards. Oh, it's an extraordinary one, because he was reaching, wasn't he? He yeah. was stretching for it. It's, it, it. It wasn't a... It was an improvisation, and yet the ball went off his foot like, like a Bobby Charlton shot. Yeah. It was It was a blur. And you couldn't blame... You, the goalkeeper couldn't get near it. No. Um, amazing goal, that. Yeah. yeah, it was. And then in the second half um, in that game as well, Cantona scores a goal where he sort of he dummies two defenders and, and scores from the edge of the box, which again is um, an example of his incredible arrogance. I think there was a move for a Ryan Giggs goal in there. We scored so many goals against Sheffield Wednesday over that period. It was a benchmark of quality. I'm talking about um, romanticising and everything, but I still feel that in that period of time when they were playing that kind of football, I don't think and I'm talking about the team of the decade here, yeah. I don't think even the 99 United team or Arsenal in 98 matched how good they were. The the, the fluidity of how good they were was incredible. Um, and the flexibility of them as well to, to play that football and to be physical enough to dominate the opponent. I don't, You look at that team, Paddy, and I, I look at it and think maybe there's no out-and-out goal scorer, but I still don't see a weakness in it because sometimes when a team's that good, if you take something away... If you, like say you had a goal scorer in there, you take Mark Hughes away, and if you take Mark Hughes away, you're taking away a massive part of the personality of that team. Yes, I agree. And 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 as we said earlier, the goals came from from everywhere. <coughs> I mean, Lee Sharp nine in the league alone. Yeah. Uh, Giggs got the thirteen in the league alone. Well, there are many a striker, um, you know, a, a specialist striker, 
who'd be reasonably happy with 13 over a Premier League season. Yeah. And Giggs was a winger. Um, so, yeah, the goals just came from everywhere. You know, you, you, you had a threat, really, even from the centre-backs at set-pieces. Pallister, Bruce. Irwin scores probably the best goal of the season. With mm-hmm. a one, as I say, a one-two and a dribble past two men in the penalty area. Um, you know, Chelsea's got six in the league alone. Then you've got Inson Keane in there. Keane still fancy the goal at that stage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they just you know who cares if if uh, if you win the league, it, it, it doesn't really matter if not a single player gets over fifteen goals if mm-hmm. if you win the league. Yeah. Uh, it means you're playing good football, yeah. and it means you've got a threat from everywhere, which makes you harder to harder to uh, combat. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that's, as you say, it's an irrelevant criticism of the team that they didn't have a uh, you know a twenty league goal a season striker. I don't, who was the leading goal scorer? Yeah, Cantona. Um, in all competitions, he got twenty, twenty five, or twenty six. Oh, so that's very good, good for, number, a, yeah. for a guy, as you say, who's um, you know part creator, part goal scorer. Yeah, but when Cantona was suspended, that's when United had their sort of wobble. They they lost at Wimbledon in the league, and then they came up against Oldham in the semi-final of a repeat of um, four years earlier. Uh-huh. Um, great um, first game where it goes to extra time well I say great first game it's a memorable first game we should say the, the 90 minutes was pretty abysmal but then it gets into extra time Neil Poynton scores for Oldham it looks yeah. as if they're going to win it and this is what I mean about taking um, Hughes out of the team you don't have a moment like this um, it, it seems uh, for a moment like this fixture pile up of all these cup games again is going to count against United but um, Hughes gets that uh, rubber stamp moment of the the remark that you made uh, that we commented on earlier in the season about uh, in the series sorry about how he was the most evocative player that United had produced since George Best mm. and when I, I think of Mark Hughes sometimes it's this goal that comes to mind more than the the winner against Barcelona. Mm. Um, the which, uh, which one are you talking about that that. The against Oldham, so in the in the last minute against Oldham, oh, sorry, he flicks over yeah, the, the Oldham game. Isn't it funny? Actually, we're talking about Oldham as a a major, as you know, as a serious Premier League club. Yeah, yeah. They um, were, yeah. but uh, which they were for quite uh, off and on, you know. And some good, some good sides, as you rightly said. Great, uh, great FA Cup semi final with yeah. United a few years earlier. But yeah, the, 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 when did they actually win the league, United, uh, that season? It was obviously before the cup final. Yeah, so um, Mark Hughes scores this late equaliser against um, Oldham in the la- basically the last minute. So an outstretched volley, um, and United win the replay with some comfort. Um, they were due to play Leeds in the week after um, the Oldham game, yeah. and this had. This was like the sort of virtue of um, great timing and and the the sort of positive side of this is that they didn't have to play Leeds and that game got rearranged until later in the campaign. Um, And United went to Leeds and they were brilliant. Cantona was back from his suspension. Mark Hughes was incredible. Kanchelski Singigs scoring the goals in a 2-0 win. Um, Ferguson says of that win, uh, tonight's performance wasn't the most colourful but in terms of determination, discipline and positive football, it was superb. Yeah. United then go to Ipswich, they win 2-1. Peter Schmeichel's injured in that game, which means Gary Walsh is coming in for the final two games. And um, United have got that big worry about Schmeichel not being fit for another cup final against Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, this time against Chelsea, who've qualified. Um, so, and well, Chelsea, you've beaten United twice in the league. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So it, it, it should have been a competitive... Uh, match at, at Wembley but it wasn't and and part of the reason uh, David Ellery I know a bit of a bet noir for for Man United fans <laughs> but uh, uh, Ellery says rather touchingly in I think one of his books that um, one of the, the, the controversial penalty that he gave United I can't remember who the players were involved in, uh, I can, it was Eddie Newton on Andre Kanchelskis Ah, oh, that's it. Yeah. And you know why you got that penalty? 
because uh, Ellery had his whistle in his mouth at the time. <laughs> and he, he admitted that when he went up to get his medal at the end, he was feeling really guilty because he'd given a penalty. I'm not saying he coughed or something at, at the <laughs> wrong time. It did, it did occur to him, but he gave it on an impulse. And if he thought about it, if he'd given himself time, he, he implies he might not have given it. Um, but the, the, it was too late once the whistle had gone. He could hardly say, only kidding, lads. Um, so, uh, yeah, you, 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 you were quite lucky to get that pen, uh, according to the, the referee himself. Uh, candidly and, and rather disarmingly, in my opinion. Yeah. But, uh, no, it was, uh, there was never any, uh, any doubt about the outcome. It was a, a steamrollering of Chelsea, I think, mm. uh, in the end by United. And uh, final score, 4-0. Uh, yeah, great score. A couple of stories about this. So Cantona, yep. um, before the game, was on painkillers for sciatica. Um, obviously, with Schmeichel at one end having this face, uh, race against time for fitness, he was um, Ferguson's biggest headache. But then Cantona says he's got this backache and needs to take painkillers for them. So they weren't sure that he was going to play in training the day before the game at the, the team hotel. Uh, Steve Bruce tells Cantona that if there are any penalties, don't worry, I'm going to take them. I'll take them. And one thing that we haven't talked about Steve Bruce is that in one of the earlier seasons under Ferguson, he had one season where he just scored loads and loads of goals, and that was partly because he took a lot of penalties. And sometimes when you watched him <laughs> taking the penalties, I don't know if you remember this, Paddy, sometimes you would feel like he was a rhino charging towards oh, yeah, to take the yeah. kick. <laughs> I know. He, pe- he took penalties like a school kid would. Yeah, yeah, exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, um, Absolutely. But yeah, Cantona did play the game. Um, Ferguson then claimed he was going to bring him off at half time. But yeah, Cantona, because he had uh, that uh, back problem. Yeah. yeah, but Cantona didn't. He played on when the penalty was won. There was no way he was going to let Bruce take it. So Dennis Wise bets him fifty pound that he'll miss. He scores the actual the first penalty. There's no doubt about that. If you watch that one, um, I don't know, it sounded a little bit like Ferguson. You know, there's no doubt about that. Um, but Erwin yeah. breaks into the box in a similar <laughs> position. <laughs> um, a similar position to how he scores the goal against Wimbledon. He dances into the box and he's sort of polexed. So the first penalty, there's no problem with that. I always thought the second one. That it's interesting to hear Ellery's point of view. But the second one, it doesn't look like it's outside the box. Um, and I, th- I always thought. He gave it because the rain was so heavy that it stopped the lines. Um, you know, the, the lines, you couldn't really see them. Um, so he sort of awarded the penalty because he thought it was in the box and it wasn't really. Um, the funny thing about that one was that if you watched it on BBC, yeah. they were still showing the replay of the Eddie Newton, uh, sorry, Eddie Newton taking down Kanchelskis that should have been outside the box. When Mark Hughes breaks through and scores the third goal, you've got the commentary. Yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of people, including myself, never saw that one live. Uh, We just heard John Motson exclaiming that Mark Hughes was scoring. Um, He saw the ball nestling into the net. Um, But that that was just an indication that Chelsea had sort of fallen apart at that point. I was. um, I'm sure we talked about this on the map on the previous pod with Matt Beadle that um, I think it gets to 2-0 and the, the humorous thing is when it gets to 2-0 Glenn Oddle who's the Chelsea player manager starts to unstrip as if like I'm the dad and I'm going to come on and sort these yeah. lads out yeah. um, but he, played, he obviously played the last few minutes in the cup final um, sealed by Paul Ince in the um, last minute um, scoring the goal um, United by the way you asked how they won the league so they won at Ipswich, and the night after, they pl- Blackburn played at Coventry. <clears throat> and Blackburn, um, they lost two goals from Julian Darby, who was a scouser. Um, just one of those, I mean, United would have to wait another couple of years before they could um, say that they'd won the title in a game themselves. You know, after waiting all that time, it was Oldham. You mentioned Oldham earlier as big influences, but they beating up Villa as we talked about and that decided the title in the last season and now Coventry decided the title for United this time round mm-hmm. um, but yeah we mentioned the, the, the team of course, to, uh, it's just worth mentioning sorry to interrupt yeah. Wayne but it's worth mentioning that in after the, the cup final um, before we leave that that, that, that that Ferguson had achieved what Matt Busby didn't uh, which was to win the double 
for yeah. Manchester United, the domestic double for Manchester United for the first time. Yeah, and I think in a way, in a strange way, that probably is um, a neat way in which it happened. You know, Busby passed, and then he he was obviously alive to see. United win the league and, and sort of start this new era of supremacy but then Ferguson doing something that hadn't been done before on this sort of step forward into the, what was to be the unknown um, just it, it probably I wouldn't say poetic because it's always tragic when anyone dies but poetic in the narrative of football that Busby passed yeah. away and then this new era was being ushered in and I think that just about brings us to a neat end of this series, um, the early Fergie years at Manchester United. Uh, I hope it's been entertaining. I hope there have been some things in here that you maybe didn't know before. Um, this series is going to be exclusive to Patreon subscribers as it is being recorded. So if, if you are listening in a time that is after December 2020 or January 2021, then this might not be applicable for you. Um, Paddy and I do welcome suggestions for new series, subjects for new shows. Um, We are working on some things, but we do really want this to be interactive, so we will take on board anything you'd like us to do. After all, you guys are the the listeners. Um, If there are any questions that you have about the early years of Ferguson, maybe we'll add a bonus episode where we answer what, what you guys have got to ask. Just leave that feedback on our Patreon page. Um, Until next time, thanks for listening. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.